Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Something good to get to celebrate. Well, turn with me as we dive in today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at verses 6 to 18 on fasting. I have no idea how we ended up talking about fasting on Father's Day, but I'm not sure there's a more inappropriate title or topic than that for fathers. Um, But that's where we're going to be today. But let me just promise, um, or let me just ask you to promise that you're not going to make your man fast today. Um, I, I want to publicly just, for the record, state that I will not support such action and uh, will take no responsibility for any men who are hungry at the end of today. Uh, that's all on you uh, if you choose to go that route. But uh, Ben, let me ask you this. Uh, what are you hungry for? Where is your hunger? And I talk to guys, it, it's not too hard for me. Ladies kind of, they back off on this question and go, oh, I don't know, I'll just eat whatever I need to, something healthy. And guys, you go, what do you like? And they usually go, dude, I want brisket or I want ribeye, or, you know, if I talk to my dad, he's like, I want a good piece of salmon. Uh, but, but typically when you talk to guys, it's not very hard for them to go, yeah, tacos is my thing. That's the, you know, that's, that's the thing I want. And so we tend to physically know what we're hungry for, and that's not a difficult question to answer. But when you turn that question a little bit and ask it a little different way, it may be a little bit harder. What are you spiritually hungry for? What, are you, what is your soul starving for and desiring and salivating to get more of? What are the things that deep down inside you go, I have have a hunger that's deeper than just the taste buds in my mouth, but I've got a a hunger for something even greater and something even more. And when it comes to fasting, that really is what we're talking about. Most of us have such little experience in this that that question is hard for us to answer. And we have such little experience with fasting that we don't really understand anything beyond, you know, a a dietary or intermittent sort of fasting. But to understand what spiritual fasting is all about, it's harder for us to comprehend and to kind of wrap our brains around that thing. And so some of us may have tried fasting for physical health reasons, uh, but how many of us have fasted spiritually? and made that a regular practice in our lives. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. And here's what we're gonna see, is that as you mature spiritually, as you deepen your, your spiritual life, you actually begin to see how the love of God affects your heart, soul, mind, and your physical strength. Everything about who you are, your whole person. And that's what Jesus has been talking with it to us about in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read Matthew 6. We're gonna start in verse 16. It says, and when you fast... Notice it says when you fast, not just like for those of you who fast, but when you fast, meaning my disciples, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who, is, who sees in secret, he will reward you. 
So again, it's when you fast. Jesus is making an assumption from the very beginning that all of those who follow him are going to fast. Uh, this is not like for the radical, you know, super Christian people. This is for everyone that says, I'm gonna follow Jesus. He says, so friends, when you follow me, you're gonna fast. And when you fast, um, don't do it like those guys, but do it in this kind of a way. And so he's gonna show us, and this is the third example we've kind of looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about giving like a hypocrite versus true giving. He talked about praying like a hypocrite versus true prayer. And today he's talking about fasting like a hypocrite versus true fasting. And so we're gonna see what we can learn here. Now, fasting generally means doing without food and sustenance for some short amount of time, uh, not necessarily defined in terms of the amount of time. And in fact, one of the things, are, you know, one of the realities for us is we talk all the time about eating breakfast. Did you know that that word or that term comes from breaking fast? That you fasted or didn't eat anything during the night and in the morning you wake up and you break the fast. And so you begin to eat, you eat something for the first time during that period of time. It comes from that sort of a terminology and that really is what, where it comes from. Now you see fasting throughout the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, in law, there was one, initially one fast that was prescribed annually that the whole country was supposed to do. Then after the Israelites got uh, taken over and got sent off into exile and then they came back into the land, um, there was... Uh, there were three other fasts that were added. So then there were four fasts uh, that were kind of this symbolic or ceremonial or communal fast that all the Israelites participated in. Now you took those four fasts and like uh, religious people love to do, uh, we, love to, uh, we love to up the ante on everyone. And so what happened during that time, or during, by the New Testament times is the Pharisees has actually added two fasts per week so you'd gone from one fast that God prescribed to four fasts after they had sinned and come home to remember that. And now the Pharisees are going, hey, why don't we just do this on every Monday and Thursday? And so twice a week, um, they chose to fast. Now the Pharisees claimed that was because Moses took two trips up the mountain. And so they ought to remember that whenever Moses went up to get the law on Mount Sinai. So we remember that by fasting twice a week. Um, seems like a little bit overkill to me, but you know, for the hyper-religious, the super-spiritual, maybe this was an appropriate thing. It happened to coincide that Monday and Thursday were also the busiest days of, of the week. Uh, the busiest days where everyone was out in the market, where everyone had to go shopping. So they weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so immediately following the Sabbath, everyone's going, we need food, get to the market, get something to eat, come back in and begin to prepare that. Now, so that was Monday. On Thursday, they were preparing for the weekend like the rest of us. And so everyone had to go to the market. Isn't it interesting that the Pharisees who are accused of fasting because they wanna be seen by everyone else, schedule their two fasts on what happened to be the most public, most visible, busiest days of the week. Um, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I think there may be something and others think there may be something to that as well. Um, but for them, they were obviously making a statement. You notice what Jesus says, he talks about how funny they look. He says, when you fast, don't look all gloomy and sad. Don't look all droopy dog. Don't let get kind of hang dog walking around. And they're looking disheveled. They're looking all distraught. And they're walking around on the busiest days in town um, looking really distraught, going, hey, we're the spiritual people that are suffering so deeply for God. Uh, we're so hungry. We can't even brush our hair today. And, you know, so they, they're doing these things. And what Jesus says in these verses is, it's impossible for you to humble yourself through fasting when you're drawing attention to yourself through overdramatic spiritual practices. When, when, you're, when you're conducting these spiritual life in such a way that gets everyone's attention, not focused on the Lord, but focused on you, it's impossible for you to, to, to do the 
or fulfill the purpose of fasting, which is actually humility, to humble yourself before the Lord. And so Jesus is calling them out. He says, basically, you're religious show-offs. And in some ways, I think that there's probably an undercurrent to this, that these super spiritual Pharisees were also doing this in a public way in order to sort of look down on and judge and condemn everyone else that was going to the market. Like, hey, we're spiritual. Why are you so unspiritual that you're just going about buying food and stuff at the market today? Why don't you become more like us? And like the Pharisee's prayer that says, God, I thank you that I'm just not like those guys over there. There's probably some undercurrent of that that's going through all this, which is why Jesus so harshly calls it out and says, look, don't be this sappy, droopy dude that's going around your fasting. But when you fast, um, just be normal. Don't be weird. Do your normal day. Do your normal thing. Go through your normal life and live the way you normally live so that nobody notices that you're fasting. And what we're to understand uh, in this is that uh, we're not to fast in order to impress other people, but we're to fast in order to express our love for God. That that really is the heart behind fasting. That's what Jesus is pointing at. He's saying the Pharisees got this all wrong because their attention is focused on others rather than on the Lord. And it's not to impress other people, it's to express our love for God. And so that's the heart of fasting. So let's shift gears. That's what fasting is not. Now, just gotta be honest. I don't have a whole lot of concerns as a pastor that our church is over fasting. Like, I, I just, I don't look around at Edmund, Oklahoma and go, man, all you people are showing off with all your fasting. Like you're running around to work and you're going, check me out, I'm fasting today, guys. Because we don't live in a hyper-religious culture. That's just not something that we do. And so I'm not as worried about this as Jesus was in their kind of hyper-religious culture that we're gonna do that. Now, we do that in other ways, but my biggest concern in this passage is not that we're gonna overfast; it's that we're, we're gonna underfast. That we're, that we're, just, we're just never going to fast at all. And maybe we've never been taught about what fasting is. So I want us to talk, to look and just understand better what spiritually, spiritual fasting really is. Uh, because something important is going on here is why Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he wants us to understand something greater. Now, fasting is a spiritual discipline by which we forego something good in order to take hold of something better. So it's an exchange. It's letting go of something that's good because I want something else even more. And so I decrease my appetite for a good thing in order to increase my appetite for an even, even better thing. And so that's the, what you see undergirding all this. But it's, a report, it's important for us to remember what, what's Jesus been saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount? Is that God created us and he put us in the world and his desire is for us to flourish as whole people whose hearts are completely free from distraction, from division, but our hearts are totally focused on him. And so in that learning to thrive or learning to flourish in the world that God created and placed us in, Jesus is teaching us how to do that. And one of the aspects of that is going to be that we learn to fast. And so somehow fasting is going to encourage this kind of whole life thriving or flourishing that Jesus um, wants for us. Now, in this sermon, Jesus is casting this vision. You remember last week, what did we look at? We looked at the idea of prayer and Jesus said this, he gave us a model prayer, the Lord's prayer that we call it. And it says, this then is how you ought to pray. Remember one of the lines in that says, our father in heaven, give us our daily bread, right? What's Jesus saying we should pray for there? We should pray for food. We should pray for something to eat, meaning that we are dependent upon God. And uh, we said last week that, that the, the focus of that is to remind you and me that we are daily dependent upon the Lord. 
and that we have a heavenly father that promises to care for us. And so we can pray to him and we're directly connected. We can talk to him and say, Father in heaven, would you, would you provide for me food to eat today? Would you meet my daily need and we pray for prayer. So our food is literally an answer to prayer. It's our Heavenly Father's gift to meet our physical needs. And it's important to establish up front when you begin to talk about fasting that food is good, right? Food is an answer to prayer. I pray and say, God, I need to eat. And God gives us food. He answers that prayer. It means that food is, is something that's good. And so food is not, is not really the problem. Now, sure, the Bible talks about gluttony and greed and uh, misappropriation of food. And so there are ways in which we can, we can aberrantly use food uh, in order to self-medicate, in order to uh, just to enjoy uh, and, and to feed ourselves and stuff our face, and enjoy all those things. Those can become problematic. But at the, at the general level, biblically, food is a good thing. And it's a good gift from God in order to meet our needs, but also something for us to enjoy. In fact, whenever the, the Israelites had uh, spiritual holidays or celebrations, they, they would celebrate with a great feast, and they would do it as a part of their worship. And really, um, for, for the Christian and for the, for the believer, um, both fasting and feasting can be acts of worship. Uh, both of those can be good things. And so, uh, 1 Timothy 4, the Bible actually teaches this explicitly and says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So, so food, is a, it's a good gift from God that we're to, we're to enjoy and it, that is supposed to actually cause thanks or worship from us up to the Lord that when we enjoy something good, uh, it ought to result in, God, thank you. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for giving something that tastes good. Uh, what was one of the biggest problems with COVID and one of the reasons we know uh, that this is a result of the brokenness of our world? You lost your sense of taste and smell. Uh, that's a great evil that we need to be freed from, right? And so we, we don't want to live in that state. We want to live in a state of flourishing, which means these are things that says that we should be able to receive with thanksgiving and know that it was created by God and it's good. So can, let's set aside at the front the idea that fasting is, is really about uh, food, about neglecting a food or some negativity related to food. That's just biblically not what fasting is about. It points to something deeper. Biblically, fasting is related to uh, the Israelites' history. And so you go back and you look at the Old Testament and you begin to unpack that, but you see that fasting really has this deep roots that goes really all the way from the, the fall and, and, and all throughout Israel's history up until God comes back or Jesus comes back and, and makes all things right. You're gonna see this kind of fasting thread that runs through the scriptures. And so when you think about uh, the Israelites, um, the place you, you need to go to begin to understand what fasting, the roots of fasting, you wanna to go to Deuteronomy, you wanna look at what it says in the law about the Israelites. What happened with the Israelites when they were in Egypt? Uh, they were in exile, they were living in this place. Uh, Moses uh, had to be sent in because they were under slavery and had to deliver them from slavery. And so there's this kind of salvation narrative of God going in and rescuing his people and delivering them to the promised land. But in the midst of uh, the period between their slavery and they're entering the promised land, there's a, a little 40 year period we call the wilderness where they're living in the in-between times, where they're sort of stuck in the middle. And in that wilderness, they're wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience, awaiting a better day, awaiting a promised future that God's gonna give them, where he's gonna deliver them into a land of milk and honey where they will be satisfied and all their needs will be met. So in that wilderness time, how is it that the Israelites were fed? They were fed day by day with manna, literally bread that fell from heaven. And so you have this sort of understanding of what God is, how God is providing from them. And manna literally means what is it? 
Meaning this was such a weird, uh, upsettling, strange thing that this manna fell from heaven that they would just look up and go, what is it? And then they just grab something. I guess where God said, you're supposed to eat that. That's how I'm going to feed you. So every day they would not be able to go to the fridge and go, let's see, what leftovers do I have? If they did, that was actually really bad for them. Uh, but they, they couldn't open the fridge and see what was in there. So they would just have to go back outside and go, is God going to send more? And they would wait and then they, it would fall and they'd be able to collect it and they'd be able to eat. So literally God provided for them daily bread. That's where this, this phrase and this idea really comes from. And by the way, uh, the Israelites were a lot like Americans. They didn't much like being told what to do. And they didn't much like having to depend on someone else. Uh, they would have much preferred a different path. And so they grumbled and they argued and they fought over this thing. And so God explains to them though in Deuteronomy 8, why it is that he did these things and treated them in this kind of a way. It was in order to instruct them, to teach them like a father does to his children to help nurture and mature them. Deuteronomy 8 says this. It says, and you will remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you during these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, which your fathers did not know. What is it? Uh, that, so that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. The idea there is that God, our Father in heaven, cared so much about you that he wanted to nurture and mature and grow you up like, like, a, father, like a good father does for his child. And so he, did, he trained you in all these ways so that you would understand your dependence on him. Ultimately, I think it's so that you would understand that the route of flourishing in the world only comes through trusting in the Lord. And so... Notice the, the things and the phrases that show up there, that this is all about the care of a heavenly father for his children, that your father loves you enough to try to shape your life and your beliefs and your understanding of the world. So, so that he might humble you, so that he might reveal what is in your heart. So he puts you through this daily test of, do I trust the Lord and is he gonna send my daily bread to feed me? So that it might reveal what's in here. And and you might discover whether you truly trusted him or not, or whether you would come out every day. My guess is there were some Israelites that were like, ah, oh, he'll do it again. And then there were probably some Israelites that ran out in the morning and were like, is anything falling from the sky today? You know, and they're coming unglued, just wondering. And there were probably days when they flip-flopped between those two things. And they're just like, what if it didn't come today? And their anxiousness, their anxiety got the best of them. And there are other days where they're like, sure, God, he loves us, he's gonna send it again. And just like you and I do, we have days where our trust feels really full, right? And then there are the days where you don't even look his direction because you're so focused on, can I, how do I fix this problem? That you're not even looking for help from the Lord. I think they were a lot like, a lot like us. But here's what I, you need to understand. When Jesus starts off in the Lord's prayer and he says, our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. This is pointing back to this. It's pointing back to the wilderness, their trust in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, just like he provided for them daily bread, he's gonna provide for you daily bread, which by the way, can I make a, a little correlation to that? That means that you and I are just as needy for daily bread as they were even though we oftentimes don't realize it in a land of plenty. In a land of plenty, we think we've got it all. And so we're just working harder and harder. And we think, well, I just need to make sure the life goes up and to the right because not only do I need, uh, need daily bread, I need better bread. 
Like I need bread that tastes better than everyone else has because I need to accumulate more so that I can stockpile bread and stockpile money so I can go get better bread later on. And so we just get in this thing where we're focused on how do I just get more and more and more? And it distracts us from simple dependence upon the Lord. But Jesus says that you and I need our daily bread just like they did. And we're also gonna be tempted not to trust him for it, just like they were. And so he puts that in the Lord's prayer. Now, look at New Testament when you go to Matthew chapter four. So you go just back a little bit. You don't have to look there, but I'll put the verses on the screen here for you. But when you go from the Old Testament and the passage of Jesus and the Israelites in the wilderness, and then you jump forward to the New Testament, uh, when Jesus' very first uh, act as he begins his ministry, the very first thing Jesus does is he goes out to the wilderness. Where were the Israelites in the Old Testament when the 40 years? They're wandering in the wilderness. Where does Jesus go? Uh, for 40 days at the very beginning of his ministry, he goes to the wilderness for 40 days. And so you're gonna, in a sense, see this kind of reenactment of what the Israelites did in, his, in, uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. It's also what Moses did uh, before he went out or when he went up to get the law. And so there's this kind of focusing in on fasting and on time in the wilderness that took place in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the very first thing that he does in his ministry. He says, I'm gonna reenact that. Not only that, I'm, going, I'm not just gonna reenact it, I'm going to actually fulfill it. And the way the Israelites grumbled and failed and, and did everything else, Jesus is actually going to succeed. He's going to fast and he's going to thrive in the middle of this, um, this wilderness. So Matthew 4 says this, and Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was God, but he was also human. And so he hungered and felt hunger the way we did. And so the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness so that he might go through this temptation. He might go through this test we might, that we might be able to see what's really inside of Jesus and all the things that would apply it in Deuteronomy where Jesus said, where, where God said, I sent you out in the wilderness and I, I let you be hungry for a little bit to see if you would trust me, to see if you would depend on me, to see what was in your heart and reveal what was there. Now Jesus is being sent by the Spirit of God into the wilderness and he's hungry and we're gonna see what's in Jesus heart. We're going to see if he's humble. We're going to see if he will be obedient to what God has commanded. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of what? What do you want when you're hungry? Bread, daily bread. What did the Israelites have to do in the wilderness? They had to trust that bread was gonna fall from heaven. And so in their state of daily dependence upon God, stepping out of the wilderness going, is it gonna come down again today? And is he gonna provide for us today? And are we gonna eat today? I need my daily bread. And what, what is the temptation that Satan is giving to Jesus? He says, look, if you're so high and mighty, if you're the son of God, if you're this powerful being, you can circumvent being daily dependent upon God and you can just command these stones to be bread. You can take it for yourself and feed yourself whatever it is you desire. You can live life your own way. You don't have to wait and be dependent upon your father in heaven. See, the Israelites couldn't do that. Jesus could. And Satan tempts him and says, hey, if you're truly the son of God, you don't need to, you don't need to perfect, live, live in perfection and perfect dependence upon a heavenly father. You can simply take matters into your own hands and command this, this stone would become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Huh, where have we seen that phrase before? That comes directly out of 
Deuteronomy 8, right? Just what we read a little bit ago. So what God was doing there, Jesus fulfills in the New Testament and he, and he points back, Jesus points back and quotes the verses from there and says, look, they had to do it and now I'm coming as a, as a perfect man and I'm going to walk through the trials of the wilderness just like they did, but I'm not gonna fail like they did. I'm gonna do it perfectly. And so there's something that's miraculous that's going on and something that's really powerful that's happening here in this section. John Piper says this, he says, this is a remarkable tribute to fast fasting. Don't pass over this quickly. Think on it. Jesus began his ministry with fasting. He triumphed over his enemy through fasting. And our salvation was accomplished through perseverance by fasting. See, Jesus in the wilderness completed a perfect fast. And that was part of his obedience that ultimately allowed him to sacrifice himself as a perfect spotless lamb and substitute for us. So his fasting was part ultimately of our salvation. And Jesus did perfectly what none of us could perfectly do. Now, all of this points to the fact that there's something important going on when we fast, right? And so there's a weightiness to fasting. There's something that gives us some significance that we're supposed to think about. What does it mean for us to forego something good for a set amount of time so that we can enjoy something better forever? So I wanna spend the rest of our time just talking about Really, what does fasting look like for you and me? Hopefully now you understand kind of what fasting is not. Hopefully you have a little understanding of some of the biblical history of fasting, how the Old Testament points to the New Testament and Jesus finalizes and fulfills all of those things and points to that now after Jesus for you and me as believers in Jesus who, have, who know that Jesus was victorious on, uh, on the cross and, and through his resurrection. Now we look back and we still fast, but we fast in a little bit different way. So how does fasting impact you and me and what are we called to do with this? Well, I wanna give you three ways that true fasting transforms you and me. Uh, first is cleansing your heart of clutter. One of the things you see in here is that Deuteronomy 8, but I think also what Satan was tempting Jesus with is that when we fast, that it reveals something in our hearts, that that it allows something to come out. We begin to see what's under the surface whenever we're physically hungry and something about that appetite. um, You know, we we joke in the world sometimes about, uh, you know, if you miss lunch and you get a little bit late and you have to go to a meeting and you're a little bit grumpy, uh, what is it we say? I'm feeling a little hangry, right? And there's a, there's a connection there that says, when I get hungry, stuff that's on the outside starts to bubble out and I start to feel a little bit angry about something. And so somehow my physical appetite is connected to my emotions, my will, my mind, the way I'm thinking about things, the way I'm seeing things. There's something bigger that happens when we're hungry. And so fasting is, is a way in which that kind of reveals our hearts and begins to surface this. And the devil really is into the distraction of our lives. And so when we think about our own lives and the way in which we live, the devil's gonna do anything he can to divert your and my attention from the the Lord. And so he doesn't necessarily have to make you do the worst thing in the world. If he just gets you to to forget that the Lord's even there, he goes, "I'm, I'm, I'm winning this battle today because they're totally focused on their physical appetites and the earthy things. And they're not aware of what's going on in heaven. They're not aware of the Lord whatsoever. And so fasting purposely breaks up the monotony of our days and gets our attention. You can't fast and just go about your normal days. Um, you know, e- even when, when, have you ever tried to fast and you're sitting in a meeting or you're doing something and all of a sudden, you know, like your stomach starts to growl or maybe you just got busy and didn't get to lunch or you didn't plan well or whatever else, but you didn't do a meal and you're sitting there in a meeting and all of a sudden your stomach does what? Your stomach starts letting you know. It's like, hey dude, something's going on, 
right? And it kind of lets out this low rumble growl and everyone kind of looks and like, dude, are you hungry? Like, you need something? We got some bars over here. And, you know, because there's, there's a fact that when we're hungry, even physically, our body tries to get our attention and goes, feed me, something's, hap- something's up here. And so not eating for a time, it just breaks up the monotony of our days and forces us to refocus on what we're doing. It wakes us up to pay closer attention to what's going on in the world around us. Now, here's the thing. For most of us, what the enemies of, of, our, of our worship of God are not awful things. Most of the time, the enemies that distract us are the little things. Uh, one guy says that it's not, uh, that the great adversary of the love of God is not his enemies, but his gifts. They are your basic meat and potatoes, coffee, gardening, reading, decorating, traveling, investing, TV watching, internet surfing, shopping, exercising, collecting, and talking. All of those things can become deadly substitutes for God that we, begin, we, we, we no longer look to God as the ultimate good, but we begin to look at these things as the ultimate good. That, man, if I just get my, this thing, then somehow I'll feel satisfied today. Like I'll have enough to get me through the day. And we allow these things to substitute for God. Now, here's the way this typically works for me. It's not that I ever strategically sit down and pull out my day timer and schedule something that says, I think I'd like to be distracted from the Lord today. I'm gonna schedule these other things to keep my attention away from him. No, I I get up and I just get busy. I get up and I start running and I'm running late to work. So I'm like, you know, jerking my car around the guy that's going too slow in front of me to try to get there because I need to get to the meeting and I got the thing. And then I finish the meeting and you come out of the meeting and you got a task list of like, who's going to do what? And then you got to start executing that because if you don't, you're going to get to the end of the week and it's going to drift over into Saturday and you don't want to work on the weekend. So then I just get busier and then it drifts into the evening. And any of you relate to those things? And, and, and you get to the end of your day and sometimes it's not that you didn't try or they purposely tried to avoid the Lord, but you just look up and you go, wow, I haven't talked to the Lord in a while. And maybe it's not just the day. Maybe you get a string of days like that or maybe even weeks like that. And you look up and go, and when's the last time I really talked to the Lord? When's the last time I really prayed? And I, I, I've been distracted by these things. And the problem for us is that we just forget about God sometimes because we're, we're chasing the next entertainment, the next bill to pay, the next meal, the next meeting, the next thing. And it's really easy to do. Now, the problem, of course, is that we tend to operate in a default mode and our default mode of our hearts tends to live in a very distracted sort of way. And that's what Jesus is preaching about through the whole Sermon on the Mount is your hearts are distracted and divided and running after all these things. And I want your whole heart. Fasting is a way for us to just acknowledge that our physical appetites drive us without any planning. <laughs> like it just happens, right? Spiritual appetites on the other hand, other hand, sometimes have to be cultivated. We have to prefer them. We have to choose them. We have to prioritize them over the physical appetites that come so naturally. And Richard Foster says this, our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks. Fasting helps keep them in their proper channels. And I love that image. like floodwaters, that everything's just flowing down in the river and our human desires and cravings, they just begin to build up like this. And and what happens when water begins to to fill up is it just, it takes over everything else. And what he says is fasting is a way that you divert some of that and go, let's get things back where they go. Let's put things back in the proper channels so that we're not out of of order. Fasting helps us find out what's in us um, and, and in those things, it tends to, those things tend to bubble up so that we can curb them and put them back in the proper place under God's care and under God's will. 
Now, um, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I will not be mastered by anything. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Meaning, I'm not going to just allow my body to dictate what happens. I'm not just going to run in any direction. But when things begin to get out of control, my, my responsibility is to practice self-control, to curb it. And fasting is just one of the spiritual disciplines that allows us to do that. Friends, what Jesus is trying to say through the whole Sermon on the Mount is that God doesn't hate sin because he's a vindictive tyrant. God hates sin because it isolates us from him and keeps us from the life of flourishing that he wants for us. God hates sin because it, it separates us from the life that he wants where we thrive under his care and under his, in his will. And it's why Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Meaning you're gonna be full. You ever been satisfied after a meal? And you know, we, we had, had a big dinner. My kids have been out of town. They've been running in, in Colorado and, uh, you know, eating kind of meals in large groups and eating away from home and eating all these things. And I really think they ran like 76 miles that week or something. So like they came back hungry and we fixed this giant meal. And I remember at the end of the meal, Mike kind of leaned back and was just like, oh, that was good. That's what satisfied is. It's that, that deal where you're like, I need to unbuckle my pants one. You know, I need to sit back and put my hands on and just kind of go, oh, that, that was a really good meal. Jesus says, you're gonna be satisfied like that when you hunger and thirst after righteousness out of your heart that wholly belongs to the Lord. So the first thing we see in terms of how true fasting transforms us is that it cleanses our heart of clutter. Uh, the second thing we see is that uh, it's consecrating your heart to God. Um, now, I grew up in the, in the 80s, and in the 80s, you had this thing called radio, and it wasn't satellite-driven, and there were things like commercials on it all the time. And so you'd listen to like two songs, and it was a commercial, and DJs talked all the time. So it was like, you just, you have to listen, you know, an hour to get six songs, you know, on the radio, but you had this thing. But one of the things they did have then, that I don't know if they have now, uh, it's been a long time since I've actually just listened to the radio, because all your devices and all your stuff, it's like, I can skip all that and do whatever I want on control now. But there was this thing we had back then called dedications. Uh, any of you old timers want to admit that you ever dedicated a song to someone else on the radio? Would anyone actually own that? Oh yeah, we got several here. Uh, you just you just one dated yourself, but two, and I, I want to know stories later. Uh, but here's what could happen at a dedication. A dedication, you could call into the radio and you could either leave a message or talk to the DJ and say, hey, I've got this song and I want to send it out to so-and-so because of, and so, you know, if, like if you had broken up with a girl and you're all sad and you wanted to get her back, like you could think of the perfect song for that and you go, I would like to dedicate this song to this person and I just wanted to know I love her. And so you leave this message on there or maybe, maybe you're too scared to ask someone out. And so you'd like, well, maybe I'll just float it publicly in front of millions. And so I'll just call and say, hey, I just want you to know that you know, I really care about you. And you know, I might like to have a conversation with you. And so I want to dedicate this song that talks about you know, forever love and something way over the top on it. And you know, so you have these things that you would do and it was just a way for you to kind of remember uh, or try to kind of dedicate yourself to this individual and say, I would like to have a connection with you. Um, and, and if you didn't want to kind of pull a John Cusack and put a giant, you know, um, jam box on your shoulder and walk out and play it in front of her bedroom window, um, this was just another way that you could kind of, you could say, hey, I'm my, I care about you. I want, to, I want to commit myself to you. I want to 
connect with you in some way. Now, what does this have to do with fasting? Well, fasting is a way that we can dedicate our hearts to the Lord. And, and we're telling the Lord, hey, I want to connect with you. I want to dedicate my heart to you. I, I want you to know, I want to consecrate in a sacred way my commitment to you. And so it's a way that, hey, in the Old Testament, God humbled the Israelites to show them their dependence. But after Jesus, God doesn't have to humble us in the same sort of way. We ought to come to the Lord and say, hey, I want to humble myself by fasting. And so he didn't send us out in the wilderness and we had to wait for manna to fall from the sky. After Jesus and after the victory that we have in him and after his spirit came to live in us, it ought to be this kind of voluntary thing that we just say, hey, I want to humble myself before you because I want to acknowledge my dependence and my trust in you and my confidence that you're going to provide for me. And so as broken human beings with sinful hearts, we need to consecrate our, our lives to the Lord and tell him, all of my life is wrapped up in you. It's the song we sang just before um, I got up to preach, right? In, in all my suffering, Jesus, you're better. In all my victory, Jesus, you're better. It's singing songs like that are ways that we consecrate ourselves. Well, fasting is another way that we do that. In fact, uh, do you know it's possible for every individual thing in the world to compete for your heart's attention and affection? Uh, Tim Keller talks about those as heart idols. And he says this, that we can make an idol out of anything that's more important to you than God, anything that absorbs more of your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, uh, to give you what only God can give. So rather than, than uh, kind of taking these things down here and saying, I'm gonna look to these to meet all my needs, fasting is a way we go, ah, oh, I'm gonna just let go of this for a while and I'm gonna look to the Lord and trust him to meet all my needs. I'm gonna remind myself that my deepest hunger is for God. And I'm gonna to choose to place my ultimate trust in him over my success on the court, over my success in business, over my ability to provide for myself, over my ability to navigate my relationships. All those things that I wanna do in life that, are, that can be good, I'm gonna set them aside for a time to remind myself that my ultimate hunger is for the Lord. And in that way, fasting really is a formative experience, helping you kind of prefer God over the things, the earthy things. It's reminding you that my hope's truly in heaven, not, not really in the world. Uh, and so in that way, what we're, what we're doing when we fast is we have to decide which appetite we're gonna, we're gonna feed. Um, now, here's what I wanna, one of the things I wanna acknowledge today because I think this ties back to what Jesus was saying. Um, it's hard for us sometimes not to see fasting as this hyper-spiritual deal for the super-spiritual elite. It's hard for us to see that this is something that, that really is for every one of us to do. And, and so it tends to be this something uh, that, that we push off in this category and go, well, I could probably never do that. But at its very heart, I want you to know that fasting is not really about that. That's where we get it all wrong. When you fast, you do it for the Lord. It's, it's an acknowledgement that says, I don't have it all together. In fact, I'm very much tempted to grab hold of all this stuff. I'm very much tempted to run after all these things. I'm very much aware of my, uh, of my, my desire to take hold of things that aren't really going to fulfill me. And because of that, I'm going to try to discipline myself to let go of that for a little while and remind myself that my ultimate hope's in heaven. And so it's not for super spiritual people, it's for really broken people who, who uh, battle day by day to remember that I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that comes out of the mouth of, the God, mouth of God. And I need to remind myself of this. It's why the Bible calls us exiles and sojourners uh, that, that were made for another place. Uh, it's, it's as though we're living with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, and we're straddling uh, the boat and the dock, and we're stuck in the middle. And, and fasting is a way to remind myself that man, I'm very much tied to the stuff of earth, but my heart wants to be with the Lord in heaven. And so I'm stuck in the middle of this, and fasting's for you and me if you struggle at all. 
with temptation to grab hold of things of earth and to put your trust in them, then fasting's for you. It doesn't mean you have it all together. It actually means you don't have it all together. And so you're coming saying, I need more of you. And so we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Now, let's look at the third way fasting transforms us. Third way is strengthening your heart for life. In verse 18, Jesus says, "Fasting, uh, your fasting may not be seen by others, but it will certainly be seen by your father who sees in secret and he will reward you. Jesus points to something future. One of the ways in which we strengthen ourselves for the daily battles that we fight here, here and now is to remind ourselves that the world is not the way it's supposed to be and it's not the way it will one day be. And so we remind ourselves that there's a better day coming in the midst of the mess in which we live. And so when you think about fasting, uh, one of the things that, uh, that, that when, you, when you think about the, the kind of biblical call to fasting, um, reasons the Bible gives us for fasting, we fast because we long for Jesus' return. We fast because we're in a time of testing or struggle. We're in a time of trial. We fast in times of sorrow. We fast in times of danger because uh, there are things pressing in upon us that we fear. We fast in times of repentance because we've blown it. We fast when we're seeking direction and we're not sure what to do. Um, sometimes we fast when we're at the beginning of an important task or ministry or mission that we know we can't, we can't achieve on our own strength. These are reasons why we fast. And so in the middle of a, a broken and messed up world, we fast in order to strengthen ourselves and remember um, what God truly has for us. And in in, in really what, what we do when we're fasting is we're saying, Lord, um, I need more of you. Lord, my hope's in you. Lord, I can't fix all this. I need someone who's greater than me to fix all this. You know, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says, uh, it starts off with this question. What is the chief end of man? What is your greatest purpose? What are, why are you here? And the answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The primary purpose, goal, reason that you are here is to enjoy the Lord and to bring him honor to hallow his name as we talked about last week. And at his core, fasting is about seeking this goal of glorifying God and enjoying him. Fasting, it's, it's, a, it's a physical expression of a heart hunger for the Lord. Saying, just as my, my stomach is hungry for food right now, my soul is hungry for more of the Lord, to connect with him, to know him, to be with him. You know, years ago, I was in a Bible study and there was a, a little... Uh, I say little, he was an older man that was a giant in many ways, but he was becoming frail. And I believe at the time he was 81 years old. His name was Billy Oliver. And he was, he'd served as a doctor in our city for years and years and years. And uh, just mentally was as sharp as he could possibly be. And uh, this man who, I was a 31-year-old guy just out of seminary, sitting down teaching this Bible study and this spiritual giant was sitting uh, kind of over here next to me. And I remember teaching one day. And as I began to teach, I looked over and there's just tears streaming down Billy's face. And I just, I stopped. It kind of rocked me for a minute, to be honest, because I wasn't teaching anything sad. Like I'm teaching and I'm like, oh gosh, what's happening? And I stopped and I said, Billy, are you okay? And he, he just kind of had this little smile on his face. And he said, I'm great. He said, I just want to be with Jesus. And I remember watching him and thinking, Man, I, want, I want to love Jesus like Billy loves Jesus. I want to be at the end of my life. And I want to look and in the midst of just going through a Bible study, talking about anything, I just want to long for Jesus. I want something for him to be so real to me um, that the tears begin to flow that something's going on in here and just says, you know what? I could hold on to all the stuff down here, but that's so much better. I want that so much more. And as I watched Billy's life, that was just true of him. 
That just was true of him day in and day out, that he had lived. And, and honestly, he'd, he'd experienced so much in his life. And he just looked and said, man, my life's been so good, but I just know that's gonna be so much better. And he longed for that day and he wants more of God. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we prefer to be absent from the body at home with the Lord. That's why he said elsewhere, to depart and to be with Christ is very much better. And friends, you need to understand that we live in this battleground in between states where we've got one foot in each world and our heart's ultimate fulfillment and flourishing is, over, is with the Lord. That's where the ultimate, our ultimate needs are met and the thing that we have to desire. And so for Christians, our hope in the middle of a messy world is always rooted in Jesus' victory through his life, death, and resurrection and his future return. And so our hope is ultimately tied to that. And fasting is a way that we just practice this thing and remind ourselves, man, my hope is not for all the stuff right here. My hope is with the Lord and with his provision and his care for me. Now, what's amazing about our faith is that um, it's not in our doing everything perfect that we can be secure, but ultimately it's in what the Lord has always already done for us. And friends, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and this just seems wacky or crazy for you, can I just tell you that you can chase everything week after week, year after year, decade after decade in this world, and it's never gonna fill you up. But there's one who will feed you in a way that will satisfy you and he will quench your thirst and he will satisfy the deepest hunger that you've got in your heart. And you can try to fill that hunger with everything else, but it's never gonna truly fulfill the things that only God will fulfill in you. And so ultimately, we look to Jesus and and we don't fast in order to be accepted by God. We fast because we've already been accepted by God because Christ has already completed the perfect fast. And not just that, but he had a perfect life and he sacrificed willingly that perfect life for you and for me so that we could be restored into right relationship with him. And he resurrect, was resurrected victorious over sin and death to promise us that we will also be victorious over sin and death. And he's gonna return and he's gonna take us to him and he's gonna make a world in which all things are new and we will celebrate, we will flourish and we will no longer be distracted. We will no longer have one foot planted in this world and one foot planted with him, but we'll wholeheartedly heartedly be with him without any distraction, diversion, uh, division within our hearts. It'll all belong to him and there'll be nothing to pull us away anymore. Friends, will that be a good day? It's a good day, right? So that's why we fast. So let me, uh, let me, let me close this down. Friends, you live in a battleground with one foot in each world. Fasting is a way, and I don't know whether you've ever fasted or not. I wanna encourage you, try a fast. Try one meal. Um, you can fast. It's typically food. You can fast from social media. You can fast from television. You can fast from other things as well, but it's typically food. And I would say start with a meal. And there's uh, ways in which, you know, if you've got questions, we can give you some resources on how you can do that. But just, just start. Just fast. And in that fast, remind yourself that God wants you to flourish. But our final goodness, our ultimate flourishing, our, our ultimate thriving is, when, is in him. And we wanna give him our whole heart. So um, here's how I wanna to end today. I've got uh, a prayer of dependence that I want us to say together. And I'm gonna ask you uh, just to read this along with me and um, as, as a way for us just to confess the things we've talked about and kind of close this down today. And so um, I'm get it down here so I'm not blocking you guys' view. Um, would you guys just read this out loud with me? Um, and then we're gonna, we're gonna shift into time of communion. Uh, our Father in heaven, I am empty, but you are full. I am hungry, but you are the bread of life. I am thirsty, but you are the fountain of life. I am weak, but you are strong. I am poor, but you are rich. 
I am foolish, but you are wise. I am broken, but you are whole. I am dying, but you will make all things new. Your steadfast love is better than life. Let me pray for us. Father, may those words be true of each of us. Father, we confess all of those things. We lay down um, our inabilities. We lay down our weakness. We lay down our sin. We lay down even our righteousness. Um, Father, because we trust Christ's righteousness. Father, we take up your goodness and uh, we rest in you and all of your provision for us. Uh, Father, as we shift to communion now, would you remind us uh, that we will one day be satisfied as we hunger and thirst for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.